All right, guys, we are live. We're starting a few minutes late today because we had some technical difficulties. LinkedIn actually told us that we could not connect. I think because they finally figured out um, that I was involved in this thing and they said we can't have that. So we're back for our Friday Frosters episode. We have Kelly back with us. So, guys, you know the deal. When you come to Friday Frosters, the first thing that you must do is drop into the chat the emoji that reflects the mood that you're in now. So I'm going to stall a little bit, give us some time to get connected because we had some connection issues earlier. It's not been a good week for me in tech, but Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, Robert. Thanks. Sorry. I've got, you know me, I like to do multitask. So I've got linked up at LinkedIn up. We are live. I can see us now. Um, and I was going to try to figure out how to put my emoji in there, but I I think I just have a big happy face because it's Friday and I'm glad. It's Friday. You know what? It's also National Honesty Day. And since we have Kelly back with us, I'm going to put Kelly on the spot and I'm going to ask her a question. So, Kelly, seeing as how it's National Honesty Day and you've been on vacation in Mexico, did you miss us? I will not tell a lie. I did miss this. I'm not going to say I missed anything else from the week, but I honestly, I honestly thought of doing it Friday afternoon and then I don't know, surf and sand. And uh, all of a sudden it was 5 PM and it was margarita time. So. <laughs> so you guys, you hear that Kelly missed us. Yeah. Kelly I missed us. I take that to heart. I miss Kelly. So. I mean, you left me with Rob all by myself. <laughs> we had Mark, though. So thank you to Mark. Shout out to Mark. Is Mark on yet? Hopefully he's there. Yeah, so I don't know if Mark is on yet. Like I said, LinkedIn today, you guys gave me an error message. It said cannot stream live yet. There is an error. So I'm just stalling a little bit, trying to give people a chance to come on in. So Kelly is back. Joe is back. And today we have a fun filled day. Pozo is here. Pozo has the smiley face with uh, looks like glasses or something. I don't know. Pozo is happy, though. So that's what counts. You guys see my emoji mood. This is my standard emoji mood. This is how I am. 24. Mm, well, 23, seven. Let's say that. I mean, nobody can be happy all the time. Uh, so. Joe figured out how to put her emoji in. Joe is happy today, too. Um, and while we're stalling, perhaps. Oh, look, Danielle's on. Good. Um, remind them that Joe has to miss next Friday. So I get to leave Kelly with Rob next Friday. <laughs> yeah. So, so Joe just said it. She's out next Friday. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we did last time. Since Joe is out this time and it was Kelly last time, I think they, I think they need a mental health break from working with me. That's really what I think it is. We are taking applications for special guest hosts. Now, again, the criteria is very strict. You just need to be able to put up with me. It's fun, you guys. It is absolutely fun. It's not that hard. I don't know if you can put up with that, but as you enter the room, what is the emoji that signifies the mood that you're in right now? As a matter of fact, let me just remind everyone that that is the criteria for participating with us. What is your emoji mood? Now, while we are here, I'm going to say, you guys, 
It is Friday. I'm so glad that it's Friday. Yes, Friday. I smell. Today is National Honesty Day. It is also the day before Internal Audit Awareness Month. And it is also, well, a few days before, to me, the greatest holiday in the world. And I'm just going to say to everyone, may the 4th be with you. And for those who get it, you get it. For those who don't, um, well, I don't really care. So, <laughs> so may the 4th be with you as you are entering the room. Hey, Alex is happy today. Alex has on a party hat. Hal is, what is that? Hal, are those crabs? Are you crabby today, Hal? They're skulls, I think. Oh, I the skulls. Know. Okay. I can barely see them. <laughs> Bonita is doing something today. Uh, Benita, are you doing ballet? Is that your pirouette? So anybody knows, anybody who's seen our lives know that when you enter the room, you need to tell us the emoji that signifies the mood that you're in. IIA Columbus, Georgia is very happy. Who is the IIA Columbus, Georgia, though? Wendy. Wendy's here. Wendy is uh, only half happy. Thomas said, I knew there was a reason why I liked you, Robert. Well, of course, man. May the fourth be with you, Thomas. Thank you. Hal says it's skull and crossbones. Okay. I didn't see that. Bonita says she is excited, excited to be here. Kelly, I didn't mean, uh, Joe, I didn't mean to cut your head off there. Oh, it's okay. I didn't even notice. So. Oh, it's Matt Jones from the IIA Columbus. Hey, Matt. Matt, you got to drop that emoji in or did you? Oh, you did already. Sorry, Matt. You're in a cool mood today. Sorry, I hadn't been putting up everybody's emoji. You said, hey, Joanna. There's my friend. Hey, I'm doing all right. Sorry, guys. I get excited when I see people I know and love here. Um, All right. So where were we? We were. May the fourth be with you. Now, here's what I'm going to say. The fourth is with us. But today we are going to talk about some frauds. And so these people have been using the dark side of the force, not the good side. You see how I tied that in? You guys weren't ready for that, were you? We got Robert here. Robert is, I don't know, Robert is saying, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, but we're talking fraud here. Lorraine, hello, how are you? Lorraine, when you come into our lives, you need to drop the emoji in the chat that signifies the mood that you are in today. She says she is new here. That's why I'm telling you the rules. How are you feeling today? So let me not harp on that. Let's get on to our first story, you guys. So our first story I'm calling it the pharmacy fraud. And you guys have got to hear this. So let me tell you, a New Jersey man has become the latest person to plead guilty in connection with a multi-million dollar fraud scheme involving compound medications. I'll talk about what that is shortly. The U.S. Attorney, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said Rocco Camilleri uh, pled guilty, pleaded guilty Wednesday to fraud, conspiracy and conspiracy to obstruct justice. So according to the authorities, here's what he did. He concocted a scheme to exploit the fact that some state and local employees had insurance that covers expensive compound medications such as pain and scar and antifungal and libido creams. Reimbursements ran as high as thousands of dollars per month for a one month supply. Um, so according to the U.S. Attorney's Office, He's 49 years old. He recruited several people and steered them to a doctor who prescribed the expensive medications that they did not need. Camilleri apparently caused about three million dollars worth of fraudulent claims to be submitted, and he received one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for arranging the prescriptions. So now 
He's in trouble, but he's not the only one. He conspired with a pharmacy in Louisiana where the CEO, uh, he and the CEO caused over $50 million in losses. Here's the information on the CEO. So let's talk about this. Robert says that's a lot of libido cream. Oh, my goodness. That is a lot of libido cream. Hey, Galena, I see you in the house, too. And you must be in a good mood today as well. So you guys, so here's what happened with the pharmacy in Louisiana. This one is just, man, it's called Rexel's Pharmacy. It was in existence. It's no longer around. But the CEO's name was Haley Taft. Apparently, Haley Taft and her conspirators, conspirators, sorry, designed compound medications and manipulated the ingredients in medications in order to obtain insurance reimbursements rather than serve the medical needs of patients. And it is said that the pharmacy itself uh, got about, what is this, $50 million. And she, the CEO, personally benefited by $1.5 million from the fraud scheme. So now that is what we're going to talk about in the first half of the show today. What say you, Kelly and Joe? You know, the first thing is um, these people, some people may be sick. And when you're sick, you're desperate. And then you go on, you read later, they like took away the copay. So there's some behavioral science, behavioral econ going on there. They made it frictionless. But the fact that they're taking advantage of people who really might be sick, um, it's, it's horrifying. And also, I had a recent experience with my son where um, you go to a doctor's office and they literally don't know what they charge. Like he had to have something done and we were private paying. So I was like, so what does this cost? And the, the medical practitioners, like, I don't know, it's 300 or 1500. I have no idea. Like just people with money and medicine and doctors, we don't know. We used to joke growing up that like you take a shirt into the dry cleaners. We don't do that anymore. But, um, you didn't know what it costs, but this is medical bills. And then we come home from vacation and I have a survey about the emergency room before I even have a bill. I'm not filling out the survey until I get the bill, but I just taking advantage of people when they truly might be sick. Oh my God. You know, hell is really warm. Well, and I think the this story got me because some of these people were just normal everyday people, right? Like Robert mentioned, teachers. Who else? It, it was like firefighters, teachers, right? Police officers, yeah. And I, I think what gets me about this one is they weren't even sick and they went along with this to get the medicine, right? Like, it, and to me, like, I'm used to studying the opioid crisis where, you know, you're, you're looking at like a drug that people like really, really want to get their hands on. And there's obviously a lot of ethical dilemmas around that on lots of sides, but this is like, it's not even about the drugs. This was really about the money. And so that's what was crazy to me is how many just everyday humans fell into this trap of rationalizing, doing this for somebody for a kickback, I'm assuming, of some sort, um, maybe because they're underpaid. You know, does this go back? Am I opening a whole nother issue here with the, the amount that teachers and firefighters and police officers are paid? I don't know. But, you know, this was to me an issue about money and rationalizing about money. I bet some of these drugs just got thrown in the trash. I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know that they went to any use. 
uh, in here. So anyway, that was my, I just thought this was, this wasn't even about like stealing medicine because we've talked about one like that, right? Where we were, yeah. you know, we talked about the HIV treatments like being sold on the black market. This is just about charging an in insurance company thousands of dollars. You know, it's insurance fraud, right? Getting that money from the healthcare insurers and not even using a drug when we should be spending money on, like Kelly said, the people who really need medicine. This is crazy to me. We're not focused. I mean, ah, so many. <laughs> so, so let's go a little bit deeper into this one, though. So, so now let's explain what compound medications are. Compound medications are simply specialized medications that fit your individual need as a patient. And you see it primarily, mostly with people who have allergies. They have to have a special compound medication to combat their allergies when they're on like immunotherapy and things like that. So what was happening here in this case, what they were doing was they were basically uh, uh, medication shopping. So they would have a patient that needed something in some instances that actually did need something. And they were looking at the different quantities of medications and they were specifically looking for those quantities that yielded the biggest benefit from the insurance companies. And so what happened is sometimes the medications may not have been mixed to the physician's specifications, but rather to the insurance reimbursement, which means those patients who legitimately needed those medications weren't getting what their physician prescribed, which brings up the point that Hal makes, and how much would you trust that the prescriptions in the compound were correctly, were, were compounded correctly and used legit? Well, you know what I'm trying to say. You can read that. <laughs> yeah. How do you know that they were compounded correctly? You don't because they already said in the uh, indictment that they weren't. And hey, there's Mandy. Mandy says, follow the money. If you guys, you guys don't know Mandy, but Mandy has uh, all kinds of cosmetic products and things like that that are just fantastic. Potency, drop it in the chat, Mandy, what your company is. Potency, I forgot the number, 710, right? Is that it? But Mandy is magnificent. If you got skin problems, Mandy will make sure that your medication is right. She will not fleece you and make sure that some things are just mixed up in the medication. Um, but yeah, so that's what was happening. And when I read the documentation further, apparently there were some people that they just fleeced. But then in other instances, there were legitimate patients who suffered because the mixture was done not to the doctor's specifications. Yeah, it, it is about, it was about, it, it turned into about the money instead of about the medicine, about the healthcare. It, it was sad. This was like purely profits over purpose, you know, example in my mind. Robert Hogan says he worked on a case like this where people with insurance were induced into having unnecessary ooh, circumcisions. Cir cir oh, man, I can't talk today. Endoscopies, colonoscopies. Man, <laughs> it's just not my day to talk, right? <laughs> I should just be quiet. Well, and, you know, I mean, when someone is sick, they're desperate. They'll try anything. And I have a friend who's a... Um, internal medicine doctor, and she just posted on Facebook a couple of days ago about Lyme disease and how there's a lot of naturopaths out there who are, and she's very much, I call her Dr. Woo Woo. And when you're sick and you're desperate, you'll try anything. And to, to feed and feast and profit off of that desperation, ugh, there's yep. just no place. Kelly, you missed last week's, I went on my high horse about uh, a doctor, well, no, not a, 
I don't even know if it wasn't a doctor, it was a person, right? Scamming people to take genetic testing. Oh, yeah. Uh, for and it was elderly, so it made it even worse, right? Like our worst case scenario um, was, you know, just to get the money, just again, insurance to pay it, whatever the reason, it was all about the money. They were being uh, taking genetic tests for cancer or whatever, uh, and they were older people that may not even had needed or had a reason, uh, you know, a past history in order to need it. But it was again all about taking advantage of people. So. Well, and here's what's interesting about this one to me from a process standpoint. If you think about the process, you go see a doctor, the doctor, you have a doctor patient relationship. That doctor then says, based on what I've seen, you need this medication. Now, the doctor sends that order to the pharmacy. You trust that the pharmacy has your best interest at heart in what they're doing. Right. So you trust that the pharmacy is going to mix your medication correctly and that they're going to do everything that they need to make sure that you're OK. But in this instance, it seems like the pharmacy and some other third party who was administering the health plan conspired to defraud the patient. And it was it, it's all our fraud triangle. But with fraud, when there's collusion, it's very hard to detect. And with this one, you had multiple layers that went into a scheme to defraud our patients. It almost it gets to third party risk, Robert, too, because that those PBMs. I worked in healthcare for a short period of time until my uh, previous organization sold that division. Um, and it just brings, like you said, another layer into the mix. Um, you know, obviously more unethical consequences can occur, but just that third party contract risk too. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So needless to say, the pharmacy in Louisiana that was working with the people in New Jersey from what I could tell, it is no longer uh, open. And apparently the pharmacy CEO faces a maximum of 10 years in prison and up to a $250,000 fine. Uh, but like I said last week with the case last week, $250,000 fine, she actually benefited about one and a half million dollars from the fraud scheme. So, I mean, you walk out of jail with a million dollars, well, I mean, obviously, you won't walk out with a million because you got attorney's fees and all that other good stuff. But um, I always think that that's interesting to see. I know uh, Aralma asked, or Pozo, as you called her, asked uh, what percentage were legitimate. Like from I'm maybe, Robert, you can answer this. But from what I read, you know, they were really focusing on that not many of the patients were legitimate. They were teachers and firefighters and those that had been essentially bribed to do this. Um, but then I think there was probably some legitimate patients as well uh, that needed some sort of compound drug, but they were still maybe not doing that right. So I don't know if we have a percentage to answer that question, but. Yeah, I couldn't find a percentage. Uh, I was actually looking, but no, I couldn't find it. It would have been nice to know, but another well, Friday. This is another area that like is not my area of expertise. I'm thinking of Trent Russell right now. The quickness of data analytics to find this is just, you know, I, I'm reading the article and it's like um, the pharmacy benefits administrator stopped covering one combination. The conspirators would develop a compounded medication with a different combination of ingredients based solely on the insurance reimbursement. And data analytics could find that so quickly, like so incredibly. Oh, quickly. you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to have Trent as a guest on here, but you're absolutely right. 
because you would be able to see the trending in, you know, this person, they used to spend this much and now, bam, spikes in just on the individual level or on the uh, payer level. I mean, there's so many different levels that data would uh, reveal this. And Hal brings up a really good point, though, because now that the pharmacy is closed, the people who need their medication need to find someplace else to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Hal. I always there's, love your contributions. There's always lots of different stakeholders to all of these that you don't even think of. Like, I mean, that was a great point Hal brought up. Let's think about all those other people that weren't involved in this. So great point. Yeah. And Danielle says it's scary, too, because a lot of people have medications compounded due to severe life threatening allergies. Yes, you are correct about that, Danielle. Life threatening yeah. allergies. Yeah. And what happens when a patient goes like a legit patient goes to their doctor and to their pharmacist and gets, you know, messed up, they're going to be scared to go again. They're definitely yeah. going to be scared to go again. So this is not even a one-time sort of thing. I mean, can you imagine not trusting your doctor and your pharmacist to do the right thing, how that's going to affect you? Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right, guys, as we prepare to move on to our next story, we're going to take a small intermission and remind you that it is Internal Audit Awareness Month. And I've said this earlier today, if you love internal audit as much as we do, go to my website and pick yourself up some I Love Audit gear like this lady. Check her out. She's really enjoying her I Love Audit shirt. But while you're enjoying Internal Audit Awareness Month, we don't want you to work too hard. Uh, let me give me just one second here, folks. While you eat, sleep, and audit, please don't overwork yourself because you might end up like this man. He still loves audit, but you can see he's tired because he's been burning the midnight oil. What we want you to do is be the life of the party. Again, my accountants and CPAs will get that. Other people are just like, what, what in the world are you talking about? But auditors love fiscal fitness, and next month is Internal Audit Awareness Month. So go to my website, go get your gear, and on to our next story. Now, guys, our next story is a very, very, very interesting story. We are going to call it the Immigration incident. Now, I know you hear a lot about immigration on, on the news, and this is not going to be political at all. Here's what happened. Two companies and nine individuals were indicted for alleged large-scale visa fraud employment scheme. This happened in the Southern District of Georgia. Now, here's, here's the genesis of it. What they're saying is hospitality venues often struggle to find workers. And in recent years, there's been an even greater challenge. This is what the acting U.S. attorney David Estes said for the Southern District of Georgia. He said that agencies that provide workers can be exceptionally helpful in such circumstances, but they must make sure that they provide workers in accordance with the law. So here's what happened in this incident. There was a company that was using workers who were here on incorrect visas. So let's talk about visas. When you come to the U.S., you have several different visas you can come to the U.S. on. A lot of students come here on what's called a J-1 visa. That's a visa that offers you uh, a chance to study here 
and it's for cultural and educational exchange opportunities. There's a limited time frame on those visas, and when they expire, you have to either convert to another visa type or leave the country. In this fraud scheme, what was happening was they were they had people who were on either J1s or even what they call B2 visas. Now, these are temporary tourism visas. They they should last for a maximum of 180 days. They were also using B1 visas, which are temporary uh, business visas. So they had all of these other visas that they were using and people were overstaying their time here in the U.S., but it doesn't stop there. They were getting jobs. And so what a lot of companies do is they hire foreigners in the country to work and they pay them lower wages than they would citizens. Now, that's bad on two different fronts. Well, on several different fronts. First, you should have fair pay for a fair day's work. But secondly, you're not paying your fair amount in taxes if you are paying taxes, because sometimes you're paying these people under the table. So that, that's another element to it. And then the third element is, well, by golly, it's just illegal. Right. So <laughs> so that's our second story for today. What say you, Kelly and Joe? You know, what's so funny is that this happened on St. Simon's Island and St. Simon's Island is like, I don't know, 10 miles away from the federal law enforcement training center. So <laughs> I saw that. I was just like, oh, my God, did they have any idea that Fletzy was literally right down the road and that there's, you know, federal agents all over the place. So I, I thought that was kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful place, though, by the way. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's stunning. <laughs> I love, um, can I just give a plug for Robert? Um, and we know you're a superstar. You could put that one back up there. But um, thanks for the uh, the education. I always feel like I learn something when I'm with you guys. And thanks for that. I, you know, to be completely transparent, honest, vulnerable, I don't, I don't know much about the different visas and requirements to work in the US. And so I found this one intriguing just for that reason. Um, you know, I've worked with organizations that need to put into place those like E-Verify systems yep. um, to, to make sure all their employees are, are properly documented. And so I've seen that side of it. So I'm sure you maybe know some of those controls that we should be using. So I'd love to hear from you you know, what, what should they be doing? Cause that's, that's the piece I would love to learn about. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I got a lot of my visa experience working in higher education because we had students here on student visitor exchange programs. And so you, you, you often find you have some students who try to overstay their visas and there's certain controls that you should have in place. There's certain data that you have to send periodically to the Department of Homeland Security. And so Pozo is asking, does the visa program not have an internal audit function? How they not see people uh, had had back to back visas? There's a lot more to it than that, because there's so many different entities that have to do the right thing. So what some of these people were doing in this story was when they when their visas expired, they just weren't leaving. And so what happens when your visa expires, it's up to the company or the organization that gave you that visa to report back to the Office of Homeland Security. Well, if the people who gave you the initial visa are a part of the fraud, do you think they're going to report back to the Department of Homeland Security? No. So it was just this cycle where it looks like they were actually taking full advantage. And I do mean that literally of these people because 
uh, I read some stories where they were saying that they were encouraging to peop the people to overstay their visas. And by that, what I what I discerned from that is they were saying, you don't have to go back. You can just stay. Your visa is OK. So not only were they participating in illegal activities, they were encouraging the other people to participate in illegal activities that will probably hinder their ability to come to the U.S. in the future. Uh, so I, I kind of feel sorry for those individuals as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my mind just went to that blind spot that I've talked about, I think, before in the show about leaders and authority figures, um, you know, hindering our own ethics. And so, I, you know, I bet a lot of these immigrants, um, you, they want to do things right. And these, you know, they see these people as leaders at the organization and they are, you know, they're hindering their own ethical decisions because of what, you know, these these unethical leaders are having them do. Um, and and one other side note that I've I've seen personally happen and had someone reach out to me for advice was, you know, what if this organization got acquired by another one, another hospitality organization, and then all of a sudden they'd uncover this problem, you know, and they have to go back and fire all of these employees or, you know, and it, it brings up a lot of um, a lot of you need a lot of courage, right, to, to say, like, we're going to completely change the way we're doing business and, um, you know, change the, the ethical operations. So anyway, I just that's happened, you know, and that's this is more common than I think people think. Hey, Joe, who is this user? It's just showing LinkedIn user. Visas have built in expiration. Isn't this a matter of law enforcement locating and removing? Um, you would think it it should be that simple, uh, LinkedIn user. That but... is Brian Spring. Just so you ah, know. Brian. So, yeah, Brian, you would think that it would be that easy, but it's not. Um, so, so there are a couple things that have to occur. So first, the agency that first got them the visa needs to actually report it to the Department of Homeland Security. So that's one big thing that needs to happen. If the fraud, if the people committing the fraud are not reporting that data, uh, Homeland Security may or may not know about it. They have an information system that they built uh, to to monitor that information. But you would think that some data analysis, you'd be able to mine that and see how many people have overstayed their visa. But yeah, it is a law enforcement matter. But you have what, what you have is you have the local authority, the local agency who actually applied for the visa for the person. Then you also have the Department of Homeland Security. Then when you really want to get the person, you need to act federally or if not federally, locally as well. So now you're going from the local level to the federal level, then back to the local level. And so you got several different law enforcement agencies that need to collaborate and coordinate. And we all know how confusing that can be. And it's OK that you're late, but you're here. <laughs> awesome. Lorraine says, which is why it's always good to do I-9 reviews. Yes, I agree. And, and, you know, I think that it's it's even more important at some employers versus others. Like if you work in, a, in an industry that has a lot of immigrants coming into the country or a lot of foreign workers, for example, the tech space, anything in education, whether it's higher education uh, from the university standpoint, community college standpoint, uh, anything having to do with research specific specifically cancer research uh, like NASA, any of those fields, you have a lot of 
visas. You have a lot of workers who have visas here and those visas have specific requirements. But what some people will do is try and scam the immigrants coming in and say, hey, if you pay us X amount of dollars, we'll guarantee that you get some sort of visa. And that's not always the case. So I don't think in, in most cases, it's not the actual immigrants, immigrant workers who uh, are doing fraudulent things. Oftentimes they are being manipulated. Now, you do have cases where it's them as well. But but oftentimes it's them being manipulated by someone. Uh, yeah. Pedro, big case in the 90s and um, people were buying green cards and it was kind of a pillar of the community, this ethnic community. And, um, you know, th they thought it was totally, you know, going to be okay. And it wasn't okay. And so, but the same thing is people were guiding them to this one guy and he was selling them. Yeah, now Pozo brings up a good point. Immigrants have a blind spot thinking leaders are less corrupt in their home than in their home countries. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, even the report to the nations, the ACFE puts out every year, the 2020 report talked about how globally bribery and cor corruption is still so widespread. And I challenge, I mean, auditors in the U.S. tend to think that it's not here and it is here as well. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, it, it is definitely here. Um, I was trying to look at this story a little bit deeper. It says that, uh, the defendants, they charged the non-citizen laborers approximately $650 per application prepared. So yeah, so they were fee fleecing them by charging them an application fee and then they were submitting applications for B-2 visas. And by the way, B-2 visas have a max time frame of 180 days, but also they are tourism and temporary visas. So you need to be here as a tour. Uh, you need to be here on a leisure uh, um, activity, not working. A B-2 is not a work visa. So, yeah, just just like I thought, these people were fleecing poor immigrant workers. Um, I think that's sad. So that's our second story for today. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is. Dun, 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 dun. Yay. I'm so excited. Uh, so if, for those of you that don't know me, I have a book club that I call my CPE book club. So that's the most fun way that you can get CPEs outside of going to one of Robert or Kelly's conferences, that is or the Ask Better Questions boot camp that Robert's doing that he'll he'll tell you about. But uh, May 13th, Kelly and I are gonna chat about her fabulous new book. Uh, and then I just today put up on my website my June one, so I'll have to send that to Robert. Um, we're gonna do Adam Grant's book, Think Again, in June, uh, June 24th. So I am, so now two, what, two events that you guys can go sign up for for the CPE book club. All right. So I think we just killed two birds with one stone there. And little old me, I have the Ask Better Questions Boot Camp. It is designed to help auditors ask better questions, get better answers and perform better audits. We have the first cohort starting on Monday. That cohort is full. The next one is uh, what is it? May 24th. I think that's the third Monday in May. Uh, go ahead and sign up now. And here's the deal, you guys. You can get $100 off if you use the coupon code CHALLENGE, and it expires tomorrow, that coupon code. So use the coupon code CHALLENGE, and 
you can attend the Ask Better Questions Boot Camp. So, guys, is there anything else that we need to talk about today? I'm good. I liked both these stories. They're crazy. I love the way that we get to talk about all different industries. So we got some government today. We got some healthcare again. I just, I think it's fun. And so fraud never ends. Fraud never ends. <laughs> fraud never ends is correct. So let me ask you guys something. Do you guys, so today is Friday and I know we're all happy that it's Friday. Do you guys have a happy dance that you do on Fridays? <laughs> Are you asking us or everybody on the on the live? <laughs> well, all of the above. I'm asking Kelly and Joe and anybody else still listening to us. See, Yvonne is still here. She says it's fun Friday. <laughs> I'm going to go mow my grass. That's kind of a happy dance. I put a podcast <laughs> in and I mow the front field. All right. So anybody else that's still here, drop into the chat. Do you have a Friday dance? Yes or no? Hey, there's Chandria. Chandria. I know Chandria has a happy dance. Okay, Yvonne says she dances all the time. I know Yvonne dances all the time. I already know that. Zumba too? Man, I can't do Zumba. Okay, so the reason that I asked, does anybody know about Mufasa and his Friday dance? Pozo says she dances all the time. Demetrius says she is working out. You working out right now? Why are you listening to us? Oh, man. Multitasking. Right. That might not be too good sometimes because you might just fall out laughing. There's Chandria saying, yes, you do the cha-cha-cha. Is that what you do? Uh-oh. Okay, so wait. I, I just asked. Does anybody know about Mufasa and his Friday happy dance? Anybody? All right. Joe, you and Kelly don't know about Mufasa and his happy dance. Hal is talking about dancing. Ah, Demetrius says, yes, you dance on Fridays. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us out with Mr. Mufasa and his happy dance. It's one minute long. Everybody should end or begin Friday the way Mufasa ends and begins his Friday. So just take a look, you guys. This is the happy dance that I want everyone to strive for on Fridays. You guys ready for it? <laughs> 